reading from Acts chapter 5 this morning. We'll start in verse 12 once you get there. First of all, we want to talk about the apostles, and I, I think this is a powerful verse. I want to kind of get into, and if we're we're continuing the kind of this series on going beyond the cliche, I've been I've been listening to a song called "Unstoppable God" quite a bit. It's a, kind of a, a catchy tune. I've been enjoying it. I think it's I can't remember who it's by, but um, it, it's it's a. Uh, uh, Essentially, it's you know praising God for being unstoppable, and we we like to talk about churches being unstoppable, and and we we like to you know we've been looking at the Canucks lately. I don't know if anyone's watching the Canucks; they're they're good again. I can talk about them; I don't have to be embarrassed. Uh, and they look unstoppable, and so that you know we get you get this about sports teams. Oh, they're unstoppable, and and I you know watching foot. I'm getting into football, and there's there's teams they they march down the field with the football, and they just look you know every game you hear in the sky. He's just unstoppable, and that is a cliche. Unstoppable. It's it's unstoppable. Well. We're going to talk about going beyond that cliche because there is something, there is something that is unstoppable. God wants us to be unstoppable, but not in the human sense of like, oh, we're just carrying a bit of momentum or, oh, you know, we're, we're doing, doing well or doing better than someone. This, this verse and this, this chapter speaks of something that is literally, no matter what anyone does, unstoppable. And God desires for us to be the same. God desires for us to be unstoppable in our faith, unstoppable in the things that we do for his kingdom, and unstoppable in church growth. And I believe God is calling this church to that. And so we're going to have to look a lot like the church in the book of Acts if we want to be unstoppable. So first of all, jumping back into uh, the beginning of what we read here in, in verse 12, we just kind of started in the middle of the story here, but uh, in the middle of the chapter anyways. But we're talking about Peter and the apostles and the miracles that are going on around them. And the apostles were meeting people's needs. So when you look at back at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, it says, uh, in, in Acts 2, 42 through to kind of 47 in there, it talks about the, the nature of the early church. It says that they were they uh, devoted themselves to uh, prayer, to the apostles' teaching. They devoted, they met together in their homes. They were devoted to all these different things. Uh, and it says that they, ha- they had every, everything in common, meaning they shared everything with one another as people had need. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Every single day people were, were joining this fledgling early church. Uh, and so they were meeting people's needs. That's a very physical part of being a church is meeting people's physical needs. Jesus himself talked significantly and importantly about the significance and importance of, about how crucial it is as Christians to help the poor, to reach out to those. Uh, he, he described himself as whatever you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. Meaning when you saw me, when you saw that sick person, when you saw that person in prison, when you saw that person without clothes, without food, did you feed them? Did you clothe them? Because if you didn't clothe them and feed them, whatever you've done to that person, Jesus says, you've done to me. That's how Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. That's a pretty scary thought if we're not meeting the needs of the poor. Going beyond that again, and even further and even deeper, we understand that not only are they meeting people's physical needs, but here the apostles are meeting the spiritual needs of the people. They are experiencing a spiritual overflowing. They're experiencing signs and wonders. They're experiencing miracles. And I'm not saying that it's necessary for the church to grow, but I am going to say that it, is, it does make a difference in church growth 
when God is performing miracles through your ministry. So we, we look here, and it says in verse 12, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, meaning they, they could have joined them, but no one else, everyone was afraid to join the apostles uh, in prayer and in, in meeting together. And nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were adding to their number, added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats. So at the very least, Peter's shadow might cross them as he was walking down the street. Uh, uh, what Peter and the other apostles were doing, attracting attention and causing people to praise God, was meeting a need that was deeper than a physical need. Yes, these were, in some sense, these were physical needs. These people had physical ailments that were needing to be healed in order for them to experience wholeness, for them to experience peace in their lives, to be able to move forward in their lives and be, for some of them, they were ceremonially unclean because of diseases they had. For some, they were dealing with leprosy. Others were blind or, or, or they were blind beggars or others could not hear. Others were crippled for various reasons. They could not carry out any form of a life. There's, this was not a time for handicapped people, physically or otherwise, to be able to carry out a normal life in society. And therefore, they were crippled not only in their physical bodies, but in their social abilities as well. They could not carry out a normal life. And so there, were, there was physical need there. There was physical need for healing, physical need for doctors in a time when doctors did not have the ability to heal some of these diseases, to heal some of these problems and issues and illnesses and so that physical need is not met by physical means like we have today and there are many things today that still are not healed by physical means there needs to be something more and when it comes to meeting needs yes it is important for the church to meet physical needs but there are many branches of government already doing that there are many, we have a food bank in our town and God bless that we, we're blessed that we have Brenda serving over there and others from the church who have stepped in. But that is not a Christian organization that is meeting people's needs. That's just, uh, the food bank has their own entity. It's not run by our church. It just so happens that someone from our church is involved in it and leading it. But that's, that's, it's not, it's not a, a spiritual way of meeting a physical need. And oftentimes we look to the physical to meet physical needs. Sometimes God wants us to look to the supernatural, to the spiritual. He wants us to look to him to meet physical needs. And deeper than that, there's only one way to meet spiritual needs. The only way to meet spiritual needs is by the Holy Spirit. I think it's a, a practical application. I think it's important to meet people's physical needs. I've always preached that regularly. It is important to help the poor. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're only meeting part of that need. Because part of the need is spiritual. Part of the need in our community is a recognition that there is more to life than just existing. There's more to life than just what we see, the temporal. There's more to life than just going through the motions of trying to get rich and have a comfortable life. There's more to life than the American dream or the Canadian dream. There's much more to life than being happy even. We, we talk about the pursuit of happiness. That's a popular theme in the United States. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, there's more to life than life. Because if this is all there is, well, then that's all there is. That's pretty discouraging. There's more to life than liberty, than freedom. Because to be placed in chains for the sake of the gospel is an incredible gift. Look at how Peter and the apostles respond. 
to being placed in chains and flogged. We'll talk about that soon too. And there's more to life than the pursuit of happiness. There is much more to life than the physical. And as Christians, we need to be the ones living that out beyond these walls. Showing them by the way that we live, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us and live through us, that there is more to life than the physical, that there, there are spiritual needs that need to be met. And the, the, the confounding thing about that is I, we don't even know how to do that until we just do it. We don't know how to meet spiritual needs unless we are so led by the Spirit that we act only by the Spirit and not by man's ways. Because if we start to think and act like man's ways and come up with my ideas, Pastor Nick's ideas, Pastor Nick's idea, he had, a, had this great idea. Hold on. <laughs> Even if it sounds like a great idea, if it is Pastor Nick's idea, I promise you, it's a bad idea. It's not. It's not a good idea. I promise it's a terrible idea. And the reason I promise it's a terrible idea is unless it comes from the Holy Spirit, it is not a, a God idea. And therefore, it is not a good idea. We can come up with all kinds of human means to try and meet spiritual needs, but it's literally not possible. God works in many different ways, but that's the key. It's God working and not us. The Holy Spirit sometimes uses miracles. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uses healings. Sometimes God uses just his, his very presence in a room or in a, in a, in a situation. Sometimes God speaks when you see Elijah in 1 Kings 19. God speaks in this quiet whisper, this still, small voice. And then other times God opens up the heavens and catches our attention in a big way. God is capable of speaking into our lives in very tiny and miniature ways and in huge ways. And our goal is to not force him to speak in huge ways where he has to catch our attention with an illness or with something bad happening, or with something really great happening. God doesn't want to have to shout at us to catch our attention. He wants us to be so in tune with him that he is able to whisper to us, and we are attentively listening, not wanting to miss a single thing the Holy Spirit says. And when he does that, you'll experience miraculous things. You'll ex and I'm not just talking about healings, although that is part of it, but too, too many uh, charismatic churches have such a focus on just the healings that they're missing the chance of these uh, miraculous encounters that we can have with people that bring of bringing grace and mercy to them. You know, I think it's just as much a miracle when when we see a, a, a Christian, a believer, forgiving someone who has harmed them so gravely that it should never be forgiven. We see this. We saw this in court not that long ago. That that uh, there there was a police officer who. Uh, broke into someone else's home. They were drunk, and they uh, this this person shot the the man in their own home, killed them. And at the trial, everyone was livid. Everyone was so angry, and as it you know became you know, seen as racially motivated, and tensions were high. And at the end of the trial, in the, in the victim impact statements, the the brother of this person who was murdered stood up and offered forgiveness in, in a very public manner, offered forgiveness to this person who had killed his brother. That's a powerful and profound miracle that comes from the Holy Spirit that it's not possible without the Spirit of God. We can't experience true forgiveness even, and true forgiveness and repentance without the Holy Spirit. 
All those things are miracles to me, and not just healings. Healings are a, a part, a fraction of what God is able and capable of doing and wants to do. We're not experiencing huge revival of healings, but we do see people being healed. And so we trust in faith that God can still perform miracles and will still perform miracles. But we need to remember that the, we need the Holy Spirit. And what part of that was the, was the need for the apostles early on in the book of Acts. Not to go out and start helping the poor. That's not what Jesus told them to do. Jesus did not tell them just before he ascended to heaven, all right, it's time to get going. Go start feeding the poor. Jesus told them not to go, but the exact opposite. He told them in Acts chapter 1, wait, wait for the gift my Father promised, that is the Holy Spirit. And so on the day of Pentecost, when they had been waiting 10 days, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And they received power from on high to preach the gospel, to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, including Clinton. All of that came by not their own strength, not great ideas, not the physical, not helping poor people. All of that came by the Spirit of God alone. And so we must learn to live by the Spirit and trust in God. Moving on, when it comes to uh, every part of our lives, there's an important lesson here in, in verse 29, and it comes from Peter. Peter and the other apostles replied, and this is, this is their reply to their being accused by the high priest. We gave you strict orders in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than men. Now I'm talking about all others. This is, can be interpreted in many different ways. We can talk about the importance of being obedient to God rather than the law of this land. I mean, I think that's significant. I think that's, that's an applicable lesson. There may come a time where we need to be obedient to God's law above the law of the land. God's law supersedes any law we have in this land. We don't have a lot of laws that go against what the Word of God says, but there are some. I can tell you this, if it came down to, for example, if it came down to the provincial park saying you can't preach Christ, you can't be a Christian and hold a Christian camp in a provincial park, well, guess what? We're not shutting down camp just because we can't preach it there. God will, I mean, if we keep silent, even the rocks and stones will cry out. There may come a time where... And the time is coming. I don't know when it's going to come, if it's going to come in our lifetime or not, but a time is coming when the laws are going to prohibit us from saying some of the things we've been saying just because they are the truth. And we need to be bold enough to say we must obey God rather than human beings because God's law is above your law. I'm not talking about promoting hate speech, to be clear. Hate speech is exactly that. We're not, what preaching the truth is not hate speech. Because Jesus himself told us to love people. What I'm saying is, if it came down, say, to the school telling us you can't preach Christ at kids' night in the gym, well, then I must obey Christ rather than men, and we need to build a new gym. <laughs> or do something different for the kids. But we, we need to stand up for what God's law says and be able to be bold in our faith in order to be obedient to God rather than men. 
Now, what that means is not just about laws, and in this case it is, but for us, this goes much deeper than just about obeying the law. This comes down to being obedient to God above ourselves as well. See, the issue of being led by the Spirit is you can't be led by yourself anymore. We just have one steering wheel in in the, the car of our lives. And so if we have one steering wheel, we either in control of that steering wheel or we are not in control of that steering wheel, but God will not have it both ways. God does not share the driver's seat of our lives. He has no intention of fighting with us every time we come to a turn. If we are going to continually take the wheel away from the Holy Spirit, He is going to give our, our the control of our lives back over to us because that's clearly what we want. Too many North American Christians, and I think Christians across the world, it's not just in North America or, or the Western world, but too many Christians are fine with following God as long as God is following us. And what I mean by that is, I'm cool with going God's way until it comes against my way, and then God, it's my way. God, I just hope you're along for the ride. And and, and lots of people, their prayer lives reflect that. The way they live, their habits, I'll I'll do my devotions and I'll go to church, God, but if you tell me to do something I don't want to do, I must be hearing from Satan, I guess. Because <laughs> that's not what I want. Well, I guess I'll just ignore that prayer. Well, we, As Christians, we need to understand prayer is not just about talking. If prayer is a conversation with God, and we look all throughout Scripture, and we see oftentimes, yes, prayer is out loud. Of course it's out loud. But many times prayer is about listening. And we need to be a church that listens to God and is obedient to what He calls us to do, even when it's difficult. It's easy to follow God when you just go through the motions of, ah, I'll, go, I'll go to church, I'll go to Bible study, and, you know, that's fine. What about when God challenges you with something? What about when God calls you to sacrifice something? I want you to give that up. Well, <laughs> that couldn't have been God. That must have just been my own idea. Well, I wanted to be unselfish. Ah, it's, I'll just ignore it. Before long, when God starts to tell us things over and over again, I would like you to do this. I would like you to do this, Nick. Eventually, he's not going to tell us anymore. That's a scary thought. That our hearts would become so hardened that we miss what God is saying to us. We must obey God rather than man. Sometimes the man is the man, the government or whatever. Sometimes we need to be obedient to God above the laws, obedient to God above authority. But some, most of the time, I think our struggle is with ourselves. Uh, being obedient to God rather than ourselves. We need to respond well to the call of God. Thirdly, moving on, I think we have perhaps our most important spiritual lesson, our most powerful lesson in verses 38 and 39. So we'll jump ahead to that point and what Gamaliel says. And I, I love that he's, he's well-respected enough that he tells the apostles to leave the room and he, he thinks... I don't, I'm not sure exactly what his thought process is here. I'm not sure if he thinks that this is going to be squashed by just letting them go. But I, I think he's incredibly wise in what he says. Essentially, he's, he brings up these two examples. and I, I, it's, it's, it's significant uh, when he says, Judas the Galilean appears in the days, before, the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He's kind of comparing, look, look Jesus... Uh, it, it, Jesus is he, he, he's, he's much like these people and he's already dead you know and these, these two revolts 
they just fizzled out. It's fine. This one will fizzle out too. But if it doesn't, it's a win-win situation. He's incredibly wise because it's a win-win because what he's saying is essentially, if this fizzles out, then we made the right decision. We just sent them on their way and it died. But, but if it's not going to fizzle out, we made the right decision because it has to be from God. And these are supposed to be godly men. The men of the Sanhedrin were supposed to be the elders and the religious leaders. They were supposed to know the law. They were supposed to know the word of God. And therefore, they were meant to be men of God. And so his, his lesson here is still stands true today. It says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, verse 38, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If it is from God, you will not stop these people. I think that's such a significant and powerful lesson from the church because we need to look at what is being stopped and what is unstoppable. What are the things that our church does that are unstoppable? I mean, we've seen it with kids camp. Kids camp is unstoppable. The government tried to stop us. BC Parks tried to stop us. Discouragement and Satan tried to stop us. All kinds of things have tried to stop camp. Even them telling us, you can't do camp in BC Parks anymore. That stopped us, so we thought. And yet we just kept on rolling. God's plan is unstoppable when it comes from God. And yet, on the other hand, we've tried other things that seem very stoppable. In fact, they have been stopped. Lots of things have been stopped in this church. I, I'm not trying to discourage you. What I'm trying to point out is that perhaps the things that we are doing that are not successful are of human origin. Perhaps some of the things this church is doing, some of the traditions and habits that this church has, maybe they're not of God. It's not that they're wrong. It's that they're not effective. Maybe some of the things, some of the emotions we've been going through, maybe some of the way we've been raised for generation after generation after generation, and the, the just coming to church and taking part. You know what? Being a part of God's family is, is certainly from God. But maybe the way we are being part of God's family is stopped because it's, it's human origin. The, the things that we're trying to twist to, to make God applicable and, and relevant to this generation, maybe it's of human origin. But on the other hand, if the things are from God, they can't be stopped. We need to look at what's unstoppable. That, that's incredibly empowering. Those are some words of truth there. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. We're seeing this in places like China right now, where church growth is exponential. The growth is massive, despite many attempts, vast and broad attempts at, uh, at secularization, of mass secularization. Nothing to do with religion or God or church at all. And many attempts at speculation by the government, government and persecution and imprisonments, all of that. And God is saying, if it is from me, you can't stop it, Chinese government. You can't stop it, those who persecute. You can't stop it, Satan. If I want to build my church, then I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then when you look at the North American church... <laughs> 
And as discouraging and as sad as it is, I have to wonder and evaluate if the church growth trends, which are... Church is shrinking in North America, and with every fighting thing we do, with every laser light show and rock band and smoke machine that we put in our churches... I just have to wonder if that might just be stoppable because it's of human origin. I have to wonder if the things that we've done to accommodate people being comfortable with the gospel, maybe that's not God. Maybe that is human origin. Well, it seems obvious, doesn't it? Maybe the things that are caused, and there are, I mean, there are a billion factors. There are many things that factor into why churches in general are not growing and are declining, or at the very best, many of them are plateauing. Maybe, just maybe, people are trying to do things that are of human origin, that are man's ideas. Maybe they're being obedient to man instead of to God. And it it's, comes down to pastors and leaders and everyone. It's, it's from the top down. But on the other hand, we still have the promise of God and the words of Gamaliel that if it is from God, nothing anyone does can stop it. We still have that promise. Those words still ring true. And so, you know, I want to read them again because the word of God is powerful here. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is from human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If something is from God, nothing will be able to stop it. I pray that you will understand and apply that truth to your lives. That you will understand that when you set forth in what you want to do, whatever it is, if it is from God, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Nothing will be able to slow you down. Nothing will be able to stop you in your tracks. Yes, there were maybe hiccups along the way. There were lots of times when the gospel was going somewhere through Paul or Peter or others, and suddenly, guess what? They got thrown in jail. You know how many times the gospel seemed to be stopped because someone threw an apostle in jail? Seemed to be stopped. Never stopped. Even when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, it says that they were singing God's praise at the midnight hour. In the very middle of the night, they were singing praises to God. And in that moment, an earthquake struck the jail, shook the jail, broke the doors open. And as they were set free, as they were set free in their rejoicing, the despair of the jailer was to take his own life. The despair of the jailer, my my life is over. I've failed in my one and only task. I'm going to kill myself. And Paul and Silas call out and say, stop, we're still here. They were set free and yet didn't go free. They stopped and said, hold on. And because of that, because of the, because the gospel of God is unstoppable, instead of suicide, instead of killing himself, he died to himself. It's a very different thing. That jailer and his whole family accepted Christ because of what God had done. The, the gospel's not stoppable by prison cells or by torture or persecution or because the government of Canada says so. The gospel of God will go forward. But more and more people need to step up and say, not my way, but God's way. Not the best new idea, 
not the not the greatest discipleship program, not the best music, not the best speakers. But by God alone will we go forward because he's the one who's unstoppable, not me. There are a lot of preachers who seem unstoppable. I mean, there's false teaching out there and it seems like, oh, their teaching is just junk. Why are they so famous and popular? Why are people following them? You go, God, I, I thought... Why are they unstoppable and not you? And then it comes out. God is regularly stopping these men from prospering. It doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. But the truth finds them out. God is the only one who is unstoppable. Nothing can stop what the Holy Spirit starts. So then we need to ask ourselves, what is God stirring our hearts to do? What is God stirring your heart to do in your life that you would love to see be unstoppable? We need to ask ourselves that as a church. What are we doing as a church that is just man's ideas? And what are we doing that is solely from the Holy Spirit? That is only from Him and not our ideas twisted in there to change it. But God alone. That's that's tough. That's a tough question. I, I don't. If I had the answer, I would just start preaching about it. But I don't. It requires immediate submission, and it requires regular prayer and listening to God. It, it requires so much of us that I don't know if all of us are willing to do it. To be honest with you, because it requires a life that's solely submitted to God. You can't go on grabbing the steering wheel back. When you get on Jesus' track and you do what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, that's life-changing. That's life-altering. And you can't go back. You can try and wrestle it back, but it never goes the way that you want it to go. It's never successful when it's man's ideas. It's only God. Only God. I mean, it's pretty binary. It's pretty black and white here, isn't it? If it is from man, it will, it will fail. And it does regularly but if it is of god you will not stop what god is doing our last lesson here comes from the response of the apostles and we'll try not to spend too long on it but continuing on until the end in verse 40 it says his speech persuaded them they called the apostles in and had them flogged Ooh, that seems stopping seems like it's stopping them then they ordered them not to speak in the name of jesus and they let them go well, they had just told them, we must obey God and not man. So I don't think the Pharisees thought that through and the Sadducees thought that through. Verse 41, it says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing. Not because they had been set free. Look at what it says here. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The name being the name of Jesus. They were rejoicing that, they, that God saw fit, that they were deemed worthy of being whipped for the sake of Jesus Christ. They were rejoicing. And then after that, it says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's our response to. It has to be. If we're going to go God's way, our response must be rejoicing despite our ordeals and never stopping to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what will make us successful. That's what will cause our church to grow if we persevere and soldier on through everything God allows us to go through, through everything the enemy throws at us, through the embarrassment of, of someone not liking us, 
going beyond what people will think about us, going beyond what people tell us to stop doing because it makes them uncomfortable. I'm not telling us that we have to make people uncomfortable, but sometimes when the truth comes out, it is uncomfortable. We need to be people who are bold enough to speak the truth in love and mercy and love people in our community. Loving people is hard. <laughs> That's why a lot of us just don't do it. Loving people with a sacrificial love like the Word of God tells us to, to love our neighbors like we love ourselves means spending a bit of time and money on them. That's kind of the nature of loving yourself is that you spend money to take care of yourself. All of you put clothes on your back this morning. Not many of you will go without food today unless you happen to be fasting, but for the most part, you're taking care of your basic needs. Good for you. What have you done for your neighbor lately? That's a real challenge to us. If God is telling us to love our neighbors like we love ourselves, are we taking as good a care of those who have needs in our community as well as we are taking care of our own needs? The reason I say that and bring that up is not so that we will do it in our own strength. Again, if we do it in man's ways, it will fail. If, we, if it's of human origin, it'll fail. It requires the Holy Spirit. It, it, we need the Holy Spirit. And so it's not about doing better in ourselves. It's not about working harder or spending more time or more money. I, I mean, it may turn into that, but the genesis of that, the beginning and origin of that is not in ourselves. Again, it is only in the Holy Spirit. And so where it's going to start is not in programs. It's not in time spent. It's not, it's not in setting up rules and a sign-up sheet for bringing meals to your neighbors. Those are all good things. We can do that. It's not in making another committee. It starts in the prayer closet at home. It starts in the time we spend in the Holy Spirit. It starts in prayer. It starts in God's Word and reading it and going, having Him challenge you with what the Word of God says and really listening. I mean, how many times did you open up your Bible in the past week or month? Or I'm not sure how often you open your Bible. If you haven't opened it in the past week, you're, you're starving spiritually. You need to open it. You need to open the Word of God and just read something. I just, I know you, I'm not one for just rules, but you just need to. You need to stop starving to death spiritually, okay? If you have opened it in this past week, how many times did you open it and go, okay, I've got to get through this because I've got to move on to my next task? And then how many times did you pray and say, God, please change my life with something today? Please, God, speak to me through your word. I know that this is your word. And then how many times did you go on after that and actively listen and say, Lord, lead me today? Because if we're not, if we're not going to do that, Sunday morning is just not enough. I realize that's a huge challenge. I realize that I am not living up to that as well. But we are all in this boat. This is not a condemnation, but rather an encouragement. Will we... Trust and rely on the Holy Spirit alone. It's, it's interesting because Gamaliel says, if it's from God, you will not stop these men. But it's not the men that they needed, that they were going to be able to stop. You can stop a man. You can, you can injure him and harm him, throw him in jail. It's not, it's not man they're fighting against because you will find that just as Gamaliel says, you are fighting against God. It was not Peter and the apostles who were unstoppable. There's the Holy Spirit in them. That's the only difference between being unstoppable and being stoppable. It's the Holy Spirit. So I challenge you this week, my prayers for you, that you will, 
you will seek the Holy Spirit. I'll say, God, speak to me and through me this week. That you'll look to his word and be empowered by it. You'll trust God to speak to you. I, I realize that's a scary thought sometimes. People are fine with you praying out loud to God and speaking to God. But the moment you start to say God spoke to me, they think of you a little differently. <laughs> God will speak to you if you are willing to listen. But you got to ask. you got to ask. you got to invite. And he will lead you to do things for his kingdom that are unstoppable if we are willing to submit yourself and submit your life before him. I challenge you to do that this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the ways that it challenges us and equips us. Lord, we want to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so I ask you to, to do that through us, through one another, that we would challenge each other, that we would equip each other and help us to spur one another on to be led by the Spirit in, Cl in Clinton, Lord, and in the community beyond. Help us to be led by you Instead of ourselves, instead of our own great ideas, God, we just pray that every idea that we put forward would be from you. That we would not waste our time and energy on things that are man-made and therefore will fail. Lord, may our lives reflect your will for us, Lord God. May we do what you want us to do. Lord, everything we do, may it be submitted to you and from you, God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak into people's lives today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us today. Lord, speak the truth of the gospel into our lives, how much you love us and care for us, that you desire uh, and have a plan for each day that we would walk in your will with your blessing and peace over us, God, knowing that we are doing your will doing your work. God, challenge us in the week ahead to be obedient to you. Show us the small ways that we can take steps to be led by the Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would bless us with a sense of your presence this morning and in the week ahead that we would be people who listen to you, who are obedient, God, and who walk in the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.